Well, if you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Numbers, and let's go to chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to read this passage. This is, um, this is the children of Israel. They've come to a place in the wilderness called Kadesh Barnea, and they're approaching the promised land. God has promised them they would make it over into the promised land. They've got all these great promises ahead of them. And they come here, and then God asks them, okay, now choose 12 spies from the 12 tribes of Israel and send these spies over into the promised land so they can kind of survey the land and scope it out and see what it looks like. So they go over there in chapter 13, verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation and all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Now notice the next verse, 27. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, who were giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites by the sea and all along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So what happens here is 10 of the spies come back with this negative report. Man, we went over there. Sure, there's fruit. We have some evidence of it. But there's also giants. There's fortified cities. There's the Amalekites who had already given them problems. All of these guys are over there, and there's no way that we can take this thing. Caleb stands up. Only two of them came back believing they could take it, Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb stands up here, and he's like, shh. Because the other people, the negative report got everyone stirred up. You know how gossip works. Everybody started getting stirred up and talking, and Caleb had to get up and quiet them all down and said, no, hey, listen, guys, we're well able to take this. We've, we've got this thing. I've been talking about sowing seed and believing God is our source. I took it directly from Oral Roberts, not even ashamed. <laughs> Believe God is your source, sow good seeds, and then expect miracles to happen. So we're at the point this morning that we're going to expect some miracles to happen. We're going to expect some miracles to happen. Amen? Because a lot of times I think we come to church and we do the whole church thing and we maybe pray and give and sow into missions and do things like that, but we really don't carry it out and put the icing on the cake and start believing that God's going to do some miracles for us and set our faith out there and say, God, now I believe. I'm praying. I believe you're going to answer this prayer. Some of the most effective praying I've found in my life has been when I had faith rise up in my spirit. 
And then I would pray, and I would pray directly, often concisely, and forcefully about something, and then I just kind of knew it was done. Then I said, okay, thank you, Lord. Now I walk in the answer of it. I know it's done. Because sometimes I think we keep on praying out of unbelief. Like we're going to try to beg God to do something that he really doesn't want to do. But if we beg him enough, maybe he'll turn out to be nice after all and decide to bless us. My mind's really changed on these things through the years, guys. I don't think God is, is holding back, you know, unwilling to bless us. Jesus gave a, a, a teaching about this in Luke chapter 11. He said, there was a guy, there was a, there, there was a neighbor who came to another neighbor and knocked on the door in, in the middle of the night and said, could you give me some food because I've had some friends come at, in the middle of the night and I have nothing to give them to eat. And he said, uh, he wouldn't give them at first, but they wouldn't shut up. And they wouldn't stop knocking. And after their, their persistence lasted, the man then finally said, I'll get up and give you some food. So, so number one, it sounds like it's a message in persistence, or what we call importunity, which it kind of is. But then Jesus, because there's another verse that teaches that, but Jesus then comes in and says, but your heavenly father isn't like that guy. Your heavenly father isn't one you have to wake up in the middle of the night and beg to do something good for you. And he said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more? Somebody shout out, how much more? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Come on, somebody. You got to ask. You got to believe. You got to expect a miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, just expect it to happen. Expect a miracle. I have a friend who pastored in the Richmond area years ago, and I, I used to drive this big white Dodge van, looked like I was a painter, <laughs> but I loved that van. And I used to drive this big white Dodge van, and I went down one day to Richmond from northern Virginia where I was living to go see this guy. And I showed up at his church, and he's standing out in the parking lot. And he smiles, and he he uh, speaks to me, and, and, and we, we talk, and he said, man, I just knew soon as I saw that van coming up, that God had sent me a brand new van. Because I've been praying for one. And I thought, well, you ain't going to get this one. But nonetheless, I do honor your faith, my friend. And, I, and that taught me something. That guy was looking for the blessing. He wasn't just like praying like, well, we prayed. Because sometimes we pray like out of complete unbelief. We pray and then just because it's a religious duty and then we don't expect anything to happen. I'm expecting something to happen. I'm expecting some miracles this morning. I woke up with this expectancy in my heart. Some God's doing some stuff in this room today. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So we talked about the seed last week. When a natural seed falls into the ground, a miracle starts to happen in my book. A miracle starts to happen. The farmer prepares the ground. He gets the soil ready. And then he plants that seed. And when that seed goes in the ground and lies dormant, something begins to happen. With the right moisture, 
the moisture starts breaking down the outer shell of that seed. And when that's, that seed becomes moist enough, it has in it everything it needs to grow. It has the food in it. It has the sprout within it. And then it'll sprout out. And then the sun takes over. And photosynthesis takes over. And that plant starts to develop. So the farmer does all of his hard work. And he plants seeds. Then he goes home and he goes to bed. And while he's in bed... A miracle is happening under the soil. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a, God has designed it that way. A miracle is happening under the soil when he goes to bed. Same way with you and I. We pray and we ask God for something great and we set our faith on it. Then we go to bed and God gets in motion. God gets in motion. You may have not seen the answer yet, but I believe it's in motion. I believe when we pray, it's in motion. Do you remember Daniel? He prayed, and then 21 days later, the angel came to him, and the angel said, hey, man, we heard your prayer in the first hour that you prayed, but I've been caught up fighting the prince of Persia to get to you. Who was the prince of Persia? I believe it was a demonic principality, and the angel had to come and do spiritual warfare to get back to uh, Daniel. It's a wild passage of Scripture. But listen, don't give up. If you've been praying, don't give up. That miracle is working in the ground. You've been sowing, don't give up. Your seed is in the ground sprouting forth. Hallelujah. You've been praying for your kids, don't give up. You're standing on the promises, that seed's in the ground. You raised them in the Word of God. Hallelujah, God is doing His work. Even when you don't see it, even when it seems like all hope is gone. No, you're still holding on because you're not looking at what man can see. You're looking into the realm of the Spirit where God operates. So I'm going to give you three ways to expect a miracle. Number one, you do not fear. Come on, say it with me. Do not fear. The first thing that happened to these 10 spies when they got back is they were shaking in their boots, afraid of what they saw. As one man said, their problem wasn't the, their problem wasn't the giants. Their problem was the grasshoppers. The giants weren't the problem. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. It's how they perceive themselves. So they came back and they were fearful. There's no way we can do it. There's no way. There's strong cities. There's giants in the lands. The Amalekites, the Hittites, all of these guys are over there and there's no way we can do it. And when you start to speak that fear and embrace that fear, it starts shooting down every bit of faith in your heart. Because you start speaking all of those negative things and you start dampening and squelching what God wants to do in your life. Amen? Have you ever been around really strong people of faith? When you start speaking doubt around them, you feel embarrassed, as we should, because they're walking in strong faith. Amen? Psalm 126 was a passage that gave me a lot of comfort several years ago. It said, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. The background of this verse is that people have to go out and sow sometimes even though they're afraid. They have to go out and sow sometimes even though the conditions aren't perfect. Some scholars believe that this was during a drought, but they still went out and sowed. He says, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, 
shall doubtless, somebody shall doubtless, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Meaning those who go out in trepidation and fear, go out against what nature says, they go out and sow, God's still going to give them a harvest and they're going to come back with the results. So my thing is, even if you have to do it afraid, still do it. Go ahead and do what God's calling you to do. You will conquer that fear in your life. Think about Mark chapter 5 when uh, Jesus is walking and he encounters this man named Jairus who was the ruler of a synagogue. Jairus says, will you come to my home and pray for my daughter? She's at the point of death. And so Jesus agrees, starts the journey to Jairus' house. On the way, they're interrupted by a woman with an issue of blood. And the woman crawls through the crowd and receives a miracle from Jesus. And then they progress on toward Jairus' house. And they get almost there and they receive a company of, 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 of news reporters from Jairus' house. Who says, listen, don't bother the daughter, any, don't bother the master anymore, the daughter is dead. Don't bother the master anymore, your daughter is dead. And it would seem like all hope would be lost right there. Call in the funeral home, get everything prepared. The mourners had already gathered around the house. And Jesus turns Jairus aside and says, listen, listen, listen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Death had been pronounced. It's over. Listen, listen, listen. Don't be afraid. Just believe. They walk down to the house, and all the mourners are gathered outside, and Jesus speaks up and says, The girl's only sleeping. And the Bible says, They laughed him to scorn. And he put everyone out of the house except the mom and dad, Peter, James, and John. He walked in, knelt over that girl, and he said, Little damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And that girl sat up, and he said, Now bring her some food. And she started eating, and all the naysayers outside just had to sit there stunned and in absolute amazement at what God had done. But the first step was fear had to be conquered. Fear had to be conquered. You're never going to step out and do what God wants you to do if you're paralyzed in fear. Or if you're afraid even that your reputation is going to be ruined. Hallelujah! It's like us. I told you the story last week of us going in the grocery store and Dana had this word of knowledge and we just went on this word of knowledge and we walk in the grocery store and I thought, gosh, I used to shop here. What are people going to think if they see me in the aisles praying for somebody? And I'm having this discussion with myself, and I'm saying, Hey, Hans, how about you shut up? How about you go, about, go with the word of the Lord? And then we saw a girl give her life back to Jesus, rededicate her life, get healed physically, get emotionally healed, and get financially blessed. Because as our friend said, dignity isn't one of the gifts of the Spirit. Years ago, we had a bishop in our denomination named uh, B.E. Underwood. And Bishop Underwood, he came from an area near where I'm from. But anyhow, Bishop Underwood got up one time and he said, Listen, I think you have Pentecostal holiness written on your church sign. He said, Then why don't you be that? 
He said, and tried to be, instead of trying to be something you're not, because if you're trying to be something you're not, people can go down the street and get that with a lot more class. Why don't you just be who you are? You're in here. Why don't you just go ahead and be Pentecostal? Why don't you just go ahead and believe God for all of it? Hallelujah. Why don't you, hey, the devil knows you're here. Your neighbors know. You get up and go to this wild church. Hallelujah. Why don't you just go ahead and give God everything you have, Lord? Fear we're putting out of here. Hallelujah. Faith we're bringing in. We're going to believe him for everything. Somebody shout Hallelujah. Amaziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Amaziah was a king who went out and hired all these soldiers to go to battle with him. Then a prophet comes and says, listen, Lord says, get rid of all those soldiers. You don't need them. And he said, but, 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 but I spent all this money. I've got all this money invested in this. And the man of God looked at him and said, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Whatever you give for the Lord, it's not a loss. Whatever you put out for him, don't worry about it because he's going to bring it back hundredfold. He's going to bring it back in blessing. He's going to bring it back when you're getting it out there and you're stepping out for the Lord. Amen. You know, I, I went and planted a church several years ago in the Washington, D.C. area. And after nine years of banging away at that, let's put a year of vision work into it. Let's put 10 years into this thing. After putting 10 years into that, I thought, man, we closed it. And I thought at the end of that, I thought, what just went on? What just happened there? And I thought, you know, is this all loss? Have I just burned 10 years? But come to find out, I was sowing a lot of seed during those years. Come to find out, we helped start an African Congolese French-speaking church during those years. Come to find out, we poured into a lot of people's lives who are now doing great things for Jesus during those years. And I think one of the biggest things is I changed during those years. God got me back to my roots and really got me back. And when I came back here, I knew I had a dream. The Lord gave me a prophetic dream that I'd, I was looking for my old car I used to have in high school. And I finally found it. And it was a Trans Am, by the way. Hallelujah, Jesus. With the bird on the hood and the T-tops and the IROC engine in it. eastbound and down and I found that car in that dream and I woke up and I realized God had brought me back full circle back into what he called me to do that's I don't know if I ever told y'all that but when I came here I knew that God had brought me back hallelujah no time is wasted time with the Lord. No time sharpening your skill is wasted time with the Lord. No time investing into your gifts is wasted time in the Lord. Don't worry about the time you spent, the money you spent, the hours you spent. God can bring it all back and redeem it all and then add to with his blessing and favor on it. My God, he can come back and add to all of that. Some of y'all been worrying, Lord, I'm 40 years old. It ain't done nothing. Don't worry about it. You've got the rest of your life to get out there and do what he's calling you to do. You think about Caleb. Caleb was 80 years old when they entered the promised land. Now, at this time, he's, uh, what, 40-some probably. And he goes out. These other naysayers are going out there seeing the giants and seeing the walled cities. Caleb comes back, and he's like, I don't know what they're talking about because I found a plot for a cabin over there on a hill. 
And I saw it. I could see it, man. I could see the, me mowing the grass. I could see us planting some trees. And I could see us having the kids over, Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas lights, boat out back with two jet skis. I could see it all. These guys are worried about the negatives. I'm seeing what, come on, somebody. And then when they go in, he goes up and he tells Joshua, he said, hey, you know what? I'm 80 years old, but I'm as strong as I am the day Moses sent me out as a spy in Kadesh Barnea. Let me go up on that mountain and give me that land that I claimed when I was over here 40 years ago. Hallelujah. And what does he do? He went up and took that land as an 80-year-old man. Come on, look at somebody and say, that's what faith will do. Shout it out with me. Do not fear. Second thing, you must believe, and you got to believe wholeheartedly. You got to get your whole, got to get everything in this. See, Hebrews says they didn't enter in because of unbelief. They didn't enter in. You know, one of the greatest leadership teachers, I think, in America has been Zig Ziglar. He was a great Christian. He said, you were born to win, but to be a winner you got to play to win. You have to prepare to win. And you have to expect to win. you got to believe it with everything that's in you. You have to believe it with everything that's in you. you got to believe you're going to win. How many of y'all ever played sports in your life? A lot of us played sports, right? One thing about sports, I never had a coach. I never had a coach who went, yeah, I played basketball. So, like, let's say we're meeting before the game. We're in the locker room. I never had a coach say, boys, we don't have not one shot tonight. It's, we've lost from the get-go, but I tell you what, let's go out there and just, just look good at least. Now, I never had one say that. No matter how outnumbered we were, no matter how outranked we were, always had a coach come and saying, guys, there's a way we can win this. And here's the way we're going to, they believed that there was a shot at it. And you know what? I was in a few of those games that we actually pulled off and surprised everybody in the house. Why? Because we believed we could do it. We believed wholeheartedly. How much more is that true in spiritual things? You see this generation that didn't believe that they could take the land, the Bible calls them the evil generation. Why were they called evil? Because they disagreed with what the Lord said. See, the deal was God had already told them they were going to take the land. So when Joshua and Caleb came, they understood what the man of God had said. The man of God, Moses, had been up on the mountain. He had seen God. He had, he, God had appeared to him face to face. He had seen the glory of God on the mountain. He gave him the pattern of the tabernacle. He performed miracles when Moses stretched out his rod. Joshua and Caleb had enough sense to say, we're listening to that man and then when that man said we're going over to the other side they're like we're going over to the other side brother we've seen this play out before in Egypt we know God this is nothing for God so they believe the word of the Lord but the others came in and they saw those giants over there and I don't know how it went but maybe you had Joe over there the Hebrew and Joe sees this son of Anak, giant over there, and he gets scared half to death, and he tells his friend, oh my gosh, you won't believe, over in this area, there's a there's this giant walking around. And then that guy gets scared because he transfers that fear, and 
He goes and tells his friend, man, you should have heard what Joe just saw, a family of giants. And then that guy goes and tells another one who tells another one who says, man, I heard uh, that Joe told somebody, told somebody that told somebody there's like 400 giants. This is the way gossip works. This is the way doubt and unbelief works. You just start pounding it, pounding it, and it pounds away, and you still look. You're just looking at the natural. You're just it just it just escalates and it and it snowballs. Whereas the men of God look through all that and look into the spirit. What is God saying is is possible here? What is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm going to take the word of the Lord over the word of man any day of the week. I'm going to believe what God said over what I see any day of the week. The spirit realm is really more real than the physical realm. If you really dig down in it, you are first a spirit being. Hallelujah. This flesh and blood will pass away, but your spirit man is going to live forever somewhere. Hallelujah. God contacts you by the spirit. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your water spouts. God speaks to you by the Spirit. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord that the Lord communicates with. Listen, we need to be in tune with heaven and what heaven is saying. Shout it out, believe and believe wholeheartedly. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 13, there's there's an interesting story about Elisha coming up to this guy, Joash, the king of of, uh, Israel. And Elisha is on his deathbed, so Joash comes, and he's crying over him, and he says the same words over him that Elisha said when Elijah went up. I don't know if he's trying to catch, recreate that moment where he gets a double portion. I don't know. But anyhow, uh, Elisha looks at him, and he says, here, man, take these arrows and take this bow. Go open a window and shoot a bow and make a declaration. Then he says, now come back. And he says, and take these arrows and strike these arrows on the ground. And that's how you're going to strike the Assyrians at Aphek. So the king goes out and takes those arrows and he strikes them three times and comes back. And Elisha gets furious with him. He said, why did you only do it three times? You should have done it five or six times. But because of this, you're only going to defeat them three times. Now, why is that such an interesting passage? Because I believe Elisha wanted to see some gumption about this guy. He wanted to see that he believed it wholeheartedly. He wanted to see that he was putting his all into it. If you believe God's going to do it, bless God, get out there and act like God's going to do it. Instead of moping around here like you don't believe anything. Strike the... Bang on it till they break, man. Strike those arrows. The man of God said, do it, do it. You got to believe it wholeheartedly. You got to put your heart into it. You got to get off the fence. Maybe God will do it. Maybe God won't do it. I don't know. We've seen it not work a thousand times. Get out. Get out, get run over, or get in. Hallelujah. Get get off the fence. Get in the camp of the believing. Believes God's going to do it. He's 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 a God who never fails. Hallelujah. Yes, he is Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Nisi. He's never lost a battle. My gosh. Look at somebody and say, believe wholeheartedly. And the final thing you have to do is you must then align your words with the miracle. 
And I know there's, there's probably been extremes and, and people have gone out there on positive confession maybe, but I'm just telling you, according to the Bible, it's a big deal when you align your words with what God's Word says. It's a big deal when you believe in your heart and align your words with what your heart believes. Because when the heart and the mouth get lined up together in faith, then amazing things start to happen. So they came over, and they were not believing it was going to happen. Joshua and Caleb stood up contrary. No, this thing's going to happen. It is going to happen. God is going, God, this is nothing for God. Did you guys not see those grapes we brought back? I mean, come on. God's going to do this thing. There's another story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. And it's the city of Samaria is being besieged by enemy armies. And there's a famine in the city of Samaria. And Elisha, again, comes in the city, and he prophesies. And he says, tomorrow, in so many words, tomorrow this famine will be ended, and there'll be plenty in the city. Okay, that man had to hear from God to give that word. Tomorrow it's going to be over. And there was an assistant to the king. And the Bible said he was like, yeah, maybe if God opened up the windows of heaven, it would happen. And Elisha's like, no, it's going to happen, but you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. So what, what, listen, what God did is so super cool. So the city is besieged. The city is in famine. The people are, are it's getting horrific. Outside the city is the camp of the enemy. But in between were four lepers. Four lepers. And these lepers are standing around. And they're like, you know what? If we go into the city, we're going to starve to death. The other way is the enemy's camp. And if we sit here, we're going to die. So why sit here till we die? Let's go to the enemy's camp. So they got up, and they started hobbling toward the enemy's camp, four lepers. And as they went to the enemy's camp, the Lord caused their footsteps to sound like a, an army coming. And when the enemies heard it, they heard the sound of an army marching on them. And they got scared and took off running and left every bit of their food and supply right there. There's a message in that somewhere. Some of us need to get the praise on right now. Hallelujah. Let the enemy know we've come into his camp. Hallelujah. So anyhow, they get over there, and they, they just walk up on this camp, and they find all this food, and they start eating, and they're just having a feast, and then they get guilty. And they think, you know what? The city is here besieged, starving, and we're here eating anything we want. So they went up and told the folks in the city, there's plenty of food. The city gates open. People rush out to get the food. The king's assistant is trampled in the crowd and killed. The word of Elisha came to pass. The city was now feasting. The word of Elisha came to pass. The word of the guy who doubted it was killed. The word of the man of God came to pass. And he spoke into an absolute impossible situation, but he had God's word on it. So it's like our tongues become the mixer that mixes faith into the scenario. It's like our words become the mixer 
You can read the Word of God. I can take you to my bookshelf and show you scholars that are renowned, world-renowned scholars, some in some of the greatest universities in the state of North Carolina, and they don't believe. They left the faith at some point but they're brilliant in Greek or Hebrew or Early Testament or New Testament or Early Church Fathers, but they just lost the faith somewhere. So you can read the Word with no faith. You can pray with no faith. And Lord knows you can go to church with no faith. But when you start mixing the Word with faith, and then you mix it by putting it on your lips and you start declaring it, and you start praying it, and you start calling it in, it starts mixing that up. Then you start getting into action with your words, and then heaven starts moving on your behalf, and things start shaking. Can somebody shout amen? Let me give you six verses of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. Mark eleven twenty three. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be thou removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus told the religious leaders, he said, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's coming out of your heart needs to be spoken. If you're trying to pray, then why worry? Or if you're worrying, why pray? you got to get it out. Get the unbelief out. Get the negative stuff out. Get the unbelieving words out. Come out of the evil generation. Come out of the evil report and believe the report of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I'm about to come unglued. 2 Corinthians 4.13. I believed and therefore I spoke. Why? Because we have the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore we speak. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. James 2, 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Put the tongue into action and get it to working. John 6, 63. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus said the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So when we speak his word, it lifts and it elevates the atmosphere. Oh, hallelujah. I don't mean to be shouting at you, but I'm so excited about it. This morning, I was getting ready, and I watched the testimony of Billy Burke because uh, I wanted to tell this story today. So Billy Burke is a healing evangelist. And in the early 60s, when he was a young boy, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he, he, had, a, uh, he had an inoperable brain tumor, basically. And he went, uh, he had a vision problem because of the, the tumor that was pressing, and so he, was, he, was, uh, he would only see double in one eye. So they bandaged him up and put a patch on his eye. And his cancer got so bad that the doctors told him, that we could do surgery, and the surgery might give you three days to a few weeks to live. That's it. So he was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he lived with his grandmother. And his grandmother, he said, we just went to a denominational church, and I did, they didn't move into supernatural. I never heard about these kind of things. But he said, my grandmother loved Catherine Kuhlman. 
great, maybe the greatest healing evangelist of the 20th century, Catherine Kuhlman. And he said, so she would listen to Catherine Kuhlman's afternoon radio broadcast. If you've never heard those, go on YouTube and look them up. They're, they're really cool. But Catherine Kuhlman, would, she was in the Pittsburgh area a lot, or maybe even was based out of there for a while. But anyhow, his, her, his grandmother said, I'm going to take you to see Mrs. Kuhlman. And when she lays hands on you, you're going to be completely healed. And Billy Burke said, I didn't, I didn't understand any of this, but my grandma didn't relent. She would say, when Mrs. Kuhlman lays hands on you, you're going to be completely healed. And she would keep telling him that when she lays hands on you. See, the grandma was aligning her words with the miracle. So she took, she took him to a meeting and they sat up in the nosebleed section. And, and Billy Burke said during the meeting at one point, Catherine Coleman looked up and said, bring this boy to me. And the workers brought that boy down, Billy Burke down to her, and said, she looked at him and said, do you believe? And he said, I believe. And she prayed for him and said when she prayed for him, five rows fell out in the spirit. Five rows of people. And he said, I hit the floor and they got me back up, and I thought I'd died. And he said, but I saw Mrs. Kuhlman, so I thought, I've died, and she went with me. <laughs> and she said, take the patch off. And he said, ma'am, I can't take the patch off. I can't see. She said, take the patch off. And he said, they took the patch off, and I could see perfectly. That was in 1962. He's still a healing evangelist today. He was completely, miraculously healed of an inoperable brain tumor in one of Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. And he credited his grandmother with being the one who kept seeding into him, when she touches you, you're going to be completely healed. When she touches you. You're going to be completely healed. A young man that came up under Catherine Kuhlman that really idolized her was Benny Hinn. And years ago in 1992, I went to a Benny Hinn meeting at uh, the Maybe Center at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I went there the first night, and it was so weird. I thought, why does it have to be so weird? And I went to the hotel room and I thought, I don't even know if I want to go back. I said, I'll go back tomorrow because Oral Roberts is preaching. So I went back in the day service and heard Oral preach. And then that night I went back to Benny's meeting. And I'm in the nosebleed. And it's packed. People on wheelchairs, stretchers, breathing machines. I'd never been in a meeting like that. And then... Someone started screaming next to me because their ears popped open in the nosebleed. And I said, Lord, forgive me because you are in this house right now. And I've never experienced anything quite like this. But God, I know you're in this place. I know you're in this place. 
Randy Hill said his dad always used to say this. He said some people, would, he'd be watching a certain evangelist on TV and somebody come in and make a derogatory word about them. He would say, stop it because they just might be anointed. And you would be speaking against God's anointed. Stop it. Stop all that. Because when you criticize church and you criticize the men and women of God, your kids hear every single word of that. And they'll come up and they will bear the fruit of the seeds you've sown. That's why we didn't raise our girls perfectly. But one thing we, we determined we would do, we'd get them in the glory. We'd let them sit in the glory. Let them sit in the revival. Get revivals come. Oh, we loved it. Get them in the glory. Let them sit there. Let them soak in it. Let them be in it. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but I'm telling you, you've got to believe wholeheartedly. You've got to get the fear out, and you've got to start aligning your words with the miracle that you know that God wants to do in your life. Start aligning your words with it. Aligning your words with it. Amen? Aligning your words with it. Hallelujah. 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 I thought about it as in the early service. I thought about last year when we were out here in the tent with Brother Ted Shuttlesworth. And one night, there was another grandmother who brought her grandson who couldn't see. And Ted gave a final altar call and salvation altar call. And then there was this one grandmother who wouldn't shut up. She kept yelling at Brother Ted. Finally, he said, what do you want? Bring, bring this boy up here. And they brought the boy on the platform. And I was about four or five feet from the boy and he was his eyes were like this like she said he had a car accident 10 years ago and since that accident he hasn't been able to see and Ted looked at him and Ted just said go and as soon as he said that that boy went and I saw his eyes stop the, sh the, 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 the shimmering and he looked around and he regained his sight completely. Right out here in the yard. And that meeting ended that night with that boy and his grandmother crying and jumping up and down and praising God for the miracle that had happened. I'm telling you, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for a grandma who wouldn't shut up. Thank God for a grandma who had enough faith to drive all the way from Williamsburg or out South Hill or somewhere they came to bring that boy to be prayed for so that a miracle could happen. I was in, I don't know, this, I don't know if I want this on TV or not, but there, I was in a meeting one time with a great man of God up in his 80s, and there was a boy there in that meeting who was very sick, who I knew, and he went and told that boy, he prayed for him, he said, now run! Run to the back wall and back! And when he told him that, the boy just kind of was like... And we thought about it, I thought, my God, man, Run! And that boy ended up dying later of the same disease that that man prayed for that night. I, I, I say that with trepidation and fear, but I'm telling you, this is a serious deal. This is a serious deal. Do what God says do. If, if there's a man or woman of God tell you to do something, do it. Do it and don't play around with it. 
Don't play around. This could be life or death. This could be now or never. This could be your moment. This could be when she touches you. Come on, everybody, stand with me. Wow. So a few weeks ago, there was a lady who came here, and when the service was over, she was standing down here around where Tyler is, and this lady waited to see me. And she said, she said, Pastor, I was here six years ago, and I had to come back to give you the testimony of what happened. Six years ago, I came here with my daughter, and my daughter, I think she was in her 40s maybe and never had a baby, couldn't have a baby. And she said, but we asked you to pray that she could have a baby. And so you prayed. And she said, I want to show you my granddaughter. She was this beautiful blonde granddaughter who was six years old. And she said, we, she was from Nags Head. And she said, we went back and calculated when she would have actually gotten pregnant. And it was the week after you prayed for her at this altar. Hallelujah. Come on. You can't make this stuff up. Hallelujah. Come on. How many are expecting something from God today? Come on. You're expecting. You need a move of God. You need a miracle in your life. Come on. Let me see your hands. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, he is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.